This is 15 Minutes Of. I'm Dan Tebow. My guest on this episode is leadership expert Mark Hannum. Mark Hannum is the current principal of Hannum LLC, a network of researchers focused on the understanding of leadership challenges and how leaders increase their effectiveness. Mark is a sought-after keynote speaker and consultant trusted by well-known brands to deliver presentations and trainings that inspire teams and individuals to lead better and deliver value to their company, their customers, and their employees. Regardless of the industry, Mark has helped dozens of organizations build leaders. His unique combination of evidence-based practices and customization has worked to generate leaders that change outcomes and deliver measurable results. Mark lives in Massachusetts, right near me, with his wife Judy and their Jack Russell Terrier. When he is not writing about leadership, speaking about it, or coaching leaders who want to grow, Mark can usually be found at his local golf course, practicing his guitar, or traveling for fun with his family. Mark, it is so great to have you here in the Fast Twitch Media Studio. I live right around the corner from you, basically. I think we never knew that, but Mark, welcome to 15 Minutes Of. It's a pleasure to be here. So good to have you. I also do a little bit of videography work, and I was in a media presence session, and I got to know you a little bit there. You were just such an interesting person to me. The work that you do is so interesting and uncommon, but also you have this uh, philosophy that kind of resonates with me. So I'm glad I got to know you a little bit better, and I'm glad you agreed to do this interview. I want to start off by asking you, what was your childhood like? Did you have a happy family life? Pretty much. I grew up in western Massachusetts mostly in Palmer. My father was the head of safety and training for the New England electric system. When he did long-range projects, we would move to Lenox or we would move somewhere else for a temporary period, but we always came back to Palmer, which is significant, I think, because Palmer was a town dominated by a big company called Colorado Fuel and Iron, CF&I. And when I was about eight or nine years old, they closed the shop. It was one of the first companies in the country that really said, we're worth more not doing anything than we are producing product. <laughs> and they put pretty much the entire town out of business, out of a job. Mm -hmm. It was a huge leadership failure, in my opinion. And I watched that happen. And I watched it happen to the town. I watched how the leaders in the town failed to respond to it. I saw dominoes fall from that people's lives being significantly impacted in negative ways. Watching everything around me was, it turned my eye to watching leaders. Never left me. At a very young age. At a you, very, very you young age. You became interested in leadership. That's yes. very interesting. Yeah. So how did you get interested in leadership research? Total accident. <laughs> I ended up getting married. The both of us went to the University of Oklahoma in graduate school. Ah. And I ended up doing research on chimpanzees using sign language. Really? Yes. So Project Washoe, Washoe the chimpanzee, I was a part of that. Spent six or seven years chasing chimps and talking to them and having them talk back. <laughs> but that was 
both fascinating and interesting. And, you know, it was fun to try to get dominance over them. It was fun to learn how to interact with them. It was fun to interact with them, actually. And the research was just amazing to do. And that's where I bent towards research. But when I graduated, if you will, from from the program, it was right as academia was going through a huge downfall, mainly generated by the Reagan administration. Uh Uh-huh. You called that the end of elitism. Yes, in a sense. Yeah. So that had an impact on your trajectory? Yeah. There was no academic jobs. None. There would be 60 or 70 really qualified people going for one job at the University of Michigan or, you know, at the University of Massachusetts or whatever. There was just nothing out there. Right. You know, you were competing with too many good people. So lots of people, you know, left and went into business and and commercial activities, et cetera, instead of of pursuing academics. Hmm. I ended up being an intern at a research company in St. Louis, Missouri, that focused on leadership. Ah, there it is. That was that was it. I, I interned for about two and a half years, ended up getting a paid position there, then ended up going into consulting. And it was just a ton of fun. And it just clicked that thing inside of me that had been there from eight years old is basically what it did. So you found that fire again. Yes. When was that? And what was leadership like then? It was the 1980s. And leadership was starting to turn if you look at leadership in the 1960s and the 1970s, it was really dominated by what you might call that JFK, ask not kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. It was about being selfless. It was about being humble. It was about the mission, or it was about what we are supposed to accomplish as, a, as an organization or as a group. But in the 70s, turning into the 80s, it started to get to be about being selfish. Accounting was turning. Uh, finance was becoming big laws were starting to change mm-hmm. and shape the way people thought about things. It became the era of what became now shareholder capitalism. This idea that, you know, a company only exists to pay its shareholders. Right. And many of the shareholders are actually the leaders. So the better we do, the better the leaders do. But when I entered public life, if you will, the average CEO made 25 times what the lowest paid employee in their company made. Today, it's 300 times what the lowest paid employee makes. Right. It's, it's ridiculous. It's all about selfishness. And now that's starting to turn again mm-hmm. right now, but that was the era. Things were beginning to change big time. So leadership traditionally has always been about somebody in the organization having the power, the ability to make all the decisions. And then they manage that way. I, I personally, throughout my life, uh, I can think of uh, the, the people that I worked for and the bosses that I had, I, they, they pretty much managed with a sledgehammer. Yes. Oh, yeah. It was all about driving as much profitability as you could out of the organization. So what's happening today? How has it changed? I think we've run the course on what you might call shareholder capitalism. Now it's become about who are all the stakeholders involved in an organization? You have a company and it has employees. They're a stakeholder. And you have customers. They're a stakeholder. You do have shareholders. They're a stakeholder. But so is the community that that company sits in, the state that it sits in, the nation that it sits in. Today, leadership is becoming much more about answering to all of the stakeholders, 
not just the few that are profiteering off of the company. Leadership then, or the lack of good leadership, has an impact on our society as a whole. So, you know, I never thought of it that way. I never thought, does it matter what kind of leaders we have running our business? I mean, who cares if you have a difficult boss? Isn't that just a part of life? But poor leadership has a, has a tremendous impact on everyone. Can you elaborate on that? Well, it's very simple. If you have a bad leader you, and, and they're the right type of company, they're going to cut corners and they're going to pollute the land. They're going to pollute the water. They're going to pollute the air. They're going to drive the economic benefit to themselves rather than to the community. They're going to lay employees off. So there's going to be more people in the community who don't have jobs when they actually could employ them profitably. And, and they're going to leave a, a track record in the community that's just not good. You know, they're, they're going to go to town hall meetings. And they're going to basically say, hey, we need this. We need lower taxes. We need this delivered to us for free. And it's all about the selfishness of that particular organization. Right. You know, good leaders would not do that. Yeah. Flip, let's flip that over. Now tell me what good leadership, the impact that that has. Effective leadership basically brings value to the company, to the employees, to the customers, to the community, and it does it in a much more balanced way. How? Simply by taking into consideration all of these different stakeholders and their needs, and then being holistic and systematic about how they address everything. You know, when you drive anything down to a single issue, everything else gets cut. But when you have to look at many issues in a systematic, holistic way, you get a better result for everything. It's that simple. You have uh, authored this wonderful book called Become the Five Commitments of Purposeful Leadership. And I read the book. It's fantastic. It's really different. It's not what I expected from a leadership study. And one question I do have, though, is... This is what I really want to know. What does Star Wars and America's mission to the moon have to do with leadership? Star Wars as a series of movies is an excellent example of people learning how to become a leader. There's just so many examples of the formation, if you will, of good leadership in that particular story. Mm. And the other part of it is, is the way that leaders in that story use various things like symbolism to get across communication. So that's another big part of, you know, leaders are basically living, breathing symbols of what they're trying to create, but they also use symbolism. The really artful leaders are really, really good at symbolism. Mm. So would you say, let's take Luke Skywalker, for example, Mm -hmm. how did he become a good leader? Becoming a Jedi is like becoming a leader in a sense. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's a formation process. It's a bit of external training in certain skills, like learning to use the lightsaber. But more importantly, it's about the formation of character, the formation of that inside sense of respect for others, or the ability to raise courage in yourself at the right moment in time. Yeah. That ability to listen to other people at the right moment and include them. And, and Luke does that. If you watch all of, you know, he has his moments, of course, where, you know, he's solitary and, and brooding and, and all by himself. But 
But he always rises up to those moments when he needs to be, if you will, the Jedi that's really inside of him. And he had a mentor. He did. Tell me about mentorship. Did you have mentors yourself? Oh, God, yes. I had many, many great mentors. I ended up at a company called Hanover Insurance here in Worcester, Mass. And it was run by a guy named Bill O'Brien. And Bill O'Brien was an amazing philosopher of leadership. And he brought in all of the best people. I would sit side by side with, with some of the best academics in the world on the topic of leadership. And we would be on a first name basis. Um, you know, one of them was Chris Argerus, a professor at Harvard University. Mm-hmm. I didn't know Chris was a professor at Harvard University. He was the guy in the office next door to me who was Chris. <laughs> Chris would come up with these wild theories about maybe we should do this. Maybe we should try that. Mark, why don't you go to the Sacramento branch and try this? And I would, and it would be a total, complete, utter failure. <laughs> <laughs> and I would come back and say to Chris, it didn't work. And he'd go, okay, you know, we tried. We, we did the things. We experimented with things that was unusual in, in those days. But Chris Arduous was a mentor. You know, and there were many, many more that I got to work with. I got to work with, you know, uh, Edgar Schein, who is like a giant in the world of organization development. You know, you also have basically Bill O'Brien the president of the company who, Mm. you know, wrote his own book on leadership that, you know, I've devoured many, many times. Basically, it's a book about the formation of character in leadership. Over the years, you have compiled data and created sets of data. You've conducted interviews. You've done surveys. Your work has led to a really rich and broad understanding of what makes a good leader and, and good is not the right word. It's effective leadership. It's purposeful leadership. What are the five commitments? Can you take me through those five commitments and how important are they? If you're going to lead, the first thing you have to have is a sense of what you want to accomplish. You have to have a purpose. What, what are you trying to do? And traditionally, that's been increase the bottom line. Increase the bottom line. Yeah. That's what it's always been. Yeah. If you, especially if you're in a corporation. Okay. But let's just say that you're, and, and this story is actually in the book, let's just say you're an auto mechanic in a small town, and you've got a couple of young daughters, and in this town, there's no playground. Well, you'd like a playground for your daughters. You know, you live in an apartment, so you can't, ha- you can't put a playset out in the backyard. So how do you get the town to build a playground? Well, you lead that effort. Everybody who comes into your automobile shop You spend time talking to them. Hey, wouldn't it be great if we had a playground here in town? You get people excited. You get them engaged. You get people who have power or money or authority to contribute what they have for skills towards this effort. You show up at town meetings. You get even more people excited. You get the right people to vote the right way to put the money towards a playground. Now, that is just enough money to get a study done of where we would put it and how we might do it, still not enough to get it done. So you take and you say to the children of town, you want a playground? Collect your pennies. And all the kids in town collect pennies for for a year and a half. And they fill the floor of of a high school gymnasium like three levels deep, which is enough money to pay for a really, really outstanding architect and playground. But you also use your connections. You get the United States Army to send their construction unit from the Cape Cod Army base up to Sturbridge, Massachusetts, 
where they are going to help build this thing. (laughs) And it ends up being an award-winning playground. All conceived and led by a guy who owns an auto mechanic shop. He's actually not even the owner. He's just an auto mechanic in the shop. In the shop. He's nobody you would expect to be. He's not, you know, he's not a college educated, white collar male. He's, he's just an ordinary blue collar guy. He has no prerequisite leadership skills. He just had a passion. He He could articulate the passion. He could pull people together. Right. And he could get the ball rolling in the right direction. And it just picked up steam from there. Yeah. And that shows you that anybody can lead from anywhere. That's the first sort of idea. Okay. You have to have a passion for getting something done, and you can be anybody. You don't have to be, you know, a college-educated MBA or whatever. If, if you can do, now take what you have that passion for and inspire others to contribute, inspire others to engage, and maximize everybody's contribution, you're going to be on the road to success. But here's another key to this. Usually the vision or the goal or that passion that people have to accomplish something is going to mean you're going to have to do some innovation, which is the third commitment. Right. If you're trying to do something, it's usually fairly big, even just a playground in town, you're going to have to innovate because you're going to have to break the status quo. So this is what people I don't think really understand about leadership is that when a leader really sets a goal, they're basically saying, we're breaking the status quo, folks. <laughs> we're not going to be business as usual. And innovation has to happen. You have to get people to contribute their skills, get people to contribute their thinking so that you create the innovation. And then, of course, the fourth commitment is that you organize people. You, you, you organize to achieve. Mm-hmm. This, this can mean literally your role is this, your role is that, you do this, you do that. Not in a dictatorial way, but just maximizing what people can do, creating communication so that everybody knows where everybody is and what everybody's doing. You know, find a way to have that meeting where everybody gets on the same page. Organize the effort, in other words. Now, this can be as simple as, hey, who's buying lunch today? (laughs) You know, (laughs) Uh, or who can we get to contribute lunch? You know, especially if you're building a playground. Building a playground, you have 160 volunteers who all show up on the day you're going to build it. You just can't have anarchy. People have to have roles. They have to have responsibilities. They have to have jobs. They have to have tools. They have to have resources. They have to have food and coffee, all of that kind of stuff. And all of that has to be organized. And that's what leaders do. They don't do it all themselves, but they make sure that it happens. Now, the fifth commitment is the one we talk about going back to Luke and formation of character. The fifth we called become, and it's literally the development of your inner sense of purpose, your inner sense of passion about doing something. It's, it's literally your ability to include other people, the ability to listen to others, the ability to respect other people. And it's really, really important that you also develop a sense of courage because if you're going to break the status quo, you need to have some courage. So in order to become I would imagine that you have to fail a lot. A fair amount, yes. And what do you do with those failures? You learn from them. You continue to gather steam about what to do different the next time I'm up to bat, if you will. A leader goes through an experience. In fact, um, just as an example, there was a a leader that I worked with. She happened to be a female vice president of of a fairly big company. 
she was given the job to be the president of a subsidiary. And she walked into the subsidiary and she pretty quickly realized that there were some very, very nuanced and subtle things that were wrong. In her last job, when she was the vice president of, of a pretty large function within the, uh, the other company that she was at, she failed to respect the people around her and she knew it. So she went into this particular endeavor saying, I am going to respect the people that I work with, no matter what their jobs are. And she went out on a listening tour. No matter who was talking, she listened to them and she showed as much respect for them as she possibly could. And when she put together her plan, she basically said, and -and so-and-so told me this, and that's part of the plan. And -and so-and-so told me this, and this is part of the plan. Mm. And she gave credit to the people she had engaged with for the creation of the plan. She was just the integration point. Right. And she learned more about what was going on. It wasn't just subtle, nuanced things. There were actually some pretty big things going on wrong. And by actually engaging with people, she was able to fix them more efficiently and more effectively than if she had just said, here's what's going wrong. We're going to fix these things. You described her as having self-awareness and understanding that she had disrespect. What about someone who's trying to become that doesn't have that level of self-awareness? Can can they be coached? Can they follow the principles and become your your book become and yeah and grow? Yes, absolutely. And self-awareness is a big part of it. You know, there's another set of research out there that talks about self-awareness and only about 5% of us only actually have fairly effective self-awareness. So, <laughs> so you know, 95% of us are walking around kind of in the dark. <laughs> yeah, I think I have self-awareness, but I'm not sure I do. Right. Or we think self-awareness is this, this, and this, and it's really not. What do you mean? Explain that. Well, we think self-awareness is, I kind of know what's going on inside me. Yes. But feel does not equal real. Ah, I've never heard that before. That's interesting. You know, I feel like I'm having a great conversation with you and I'm really self-aware and I'm really listening to you, but really all I'm doing is advocating for what I want. Okay, yeah. (laughs) You, You see this all the time. People who are listening to another person, but they're not really listening. What they're really doing is formulating their argument for what they're going to say next. Right. If you're self-aware, you know that and you fix it in the moment. But many people will walk away from the conversation and go, oh, yeah, I wasn't really listening. I was mostly formulating my argument. So it doesn't get fixed in the moment. Right. And they don't fix it in the next conversation either. Yeah. Self-reflection is difficult. Oh, it's brutal. It's absolutely brutal. You know, to, to really understand yourself and understand what's going on inside you and your emotions. You know, some of these emotions were built when you were six and seven and eight years old. Mm. The patterns that you have go back sometimes 30 and 40 and 50 years, depending upon how old you are. Understanding that and being able to address those in the moment or as you're confronting something that's big and difficult and could determine you the success or failure of your whole career, really hard. I can see that. What a leader does is basically formulate a goal or a vision and formulate it in a way that it is going to inspire other people. It's going to bring people to the table to help accomplish that goal or that vision. Once you bring them to the table, you've got to really engage them. You've got to maximize their contributions. You've got to maximize their efforts and their skills and abilities. You also have to maybe develop them, bring out the best in them. And leaders do that. They also bring out the cultural aspects that make that happen. 
Leaders also, with respect to that goal, have to create an innovation to break the status quo so that that goal becomes possible. They organize people so that the achievement becomes, if you will, almost a certainty. And then finally, leaders have this part of themselves that is all about self-awareness and courage and respect for others, inclusion of others, etc. It's the formation, if you will. It's that character piece of leadership that is just so incredibly important. Close to 25 years of research, I would imagine tons of travel, many, many interviews, many conversations, compiling the data and then crunching that data writing, articulating that all into your book, Become. Has that cost you anything? Oh, I think it's, you know, like a lot of people who do a lot of work and are dedicated to their work, it costs you some family time. Yeah. Um, Especially the travel. You know, there were a great many years where 40 weeks of travel, 45 weeks of travel was the norm. You leave home on Sunday night and you come home on Friday night. And as you're traveling home on Friday night, you make a promise to yourself that you're only going to focus on your family for the next 48 hours. And, and of course, that's not really what happens. Mm. But you do your best. Right. You know, and, and I do have two healthy kids who are really, really good at what they do. And um, I'm still married to the same woman who said yes to me 44 years ago. So, that's wonderful. Yeah. yeah. And now your plan is to give back. Yes, the whole idea is to take what I know and dedicate it to organizations that really need it. And who does? Who really needs it? What organizations do you think you will work with? I, I want to say that if you look at, at the numbers, about 95% of all leaders truly suck at what they do. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate your honesty. So almost any organization out there could use someone to help them with their leadership. Right. I would hope that I could dedicate my efforts more towards not-for-profits, companies that really have a purpose and a mission that, that is important to society or to a community. I would love to help kids learn how to do this. That would be a fun thing to do as well. And I think there's also a, a, a way to apply this into what we might call our divided society, too. You know, there's a, an organization here in Massachusetts that's really looking to bridge the gap between what you might call the very, very conservative part of our nation mm-hmm. and the very liberal part of our nation. They're doing all sorts of projects to bring people together and get them to understand each other. Oh, that sounds wonderful. Yeah. So I'm trying to become a part of that because that is leadership, is bringing people together right. to accomplish something. You also have another book in the works. Could you talk about that? Yes. Um, I am currently writing a book called 19, 19 Simple Observations About Leadership. And it's basically um, 19 different chapters or reflections on the nuances of what really effective leaders do. Mm. And this is the compilation of 25 years. This is watching great leaders lead. And when do you expect that to be published? In August. Oh, great. Yeah. Awesome. That sounds great. I can hardly wait for that. We're going to put in the show notes links to purchase Become and ways to connect with you. If anybody has any questions or would like to learn more about Mark Hannum and his leadership research, thank you so much for being on 15 Minutes Of. It was a pleasure to get to know you even better. I I really appreciate doing this and, and thank you for having me. 
I'll end with a quote from John Quincy Adams. If your actions inspire others to dream more, learn more, do more, and become more, you are a leader. From a very early age, Mark personally saw the impact of leadership and has spent a lifetime examining, testing, and helping others become an expression of that quote. Large corporations can generate incredible amounts of revenue, yet leave their staff drained and unempowered. As much as we would like to think that things have changed, the sledgehammer mentality persists, while rank-and-yank systems abound in the very biggest, most popular companies. As Mark moves toward his next career move, he will bring much-needed expertise to the smaller organizations, the ones that are making a difference in the world. One final quote, and this is from the author himself, Mark Hannum. Purposeful leaders are called upon to do five things. Create a hopeful vision for the future, bring together talent that can contribute in meaningful ways toward that vision, bring about the innovations and changes required to achieve that vision, structure people together in roles and teams with the right tools, process, and objectives to be successful. And finally, be an individual that people can respect, admire, and follow. A person of goodwill, wisdom, and maturity that you want to be around and follow. This is 15 Minutes of I'm Dan Tebow.